How to effectively remove doors as obstacles. How can you customize a game system to make it your own? Where can I find the boom sheath? What do I do with all these legend points? I'm Carrie. I'm Josh. And I'm Monica. And this is the World Builders Podcast. Hello there. I'm Carrie. I'm Josh. And I'm Monica. And this is the World Builders Podcast, because you can't build a planet without a plan. In this podcast, we, your hosts, explore settings and genre fiction by crafting them here and now for you, our listeners. In Season Zero, we've explored the world of Xanthuru. You've learned about its history, its magic, and some of the people who live there. And now, in this very special bonus episode, we're going to take all of that smattering of delicious, delicious lore and make a fantastic sandwich with in-game mechanics and uh, have a little chat here with uh, the one, the only, the masterfully coiffed Great Mustache. Hello. Dun 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 dun. Welcome! Holy crap, you guys. I am so excited that we get to all four be here and have this episode. Thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always like to talk more about Open Legend and uh, anything that I can do to help. Always, always fun. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for, for those of our listeners who are new to Open Legend? Um, so I am Great Mustache. I actually started with Open Legend by creating the Roll20 character sheet and then like messaging them and saying, hey, I made this. Uh, is that okay? And they were like, yes, hey, you want to come talk? And I ended up being part of the admin team that threw rules and refined everything while the Kickstarter was going on to uh, make everything clear for all the stuff that got published. Uh, so I kind of helped out with that with a team of other people. And then over the years, uh, just continued to exist in Discord. And so a lot of people know me from from that and helping out with questions and, and all that. And then, see, it's been four, four or five months now. Um, I bought Open Legend from Brian and now I own it. So that's, uh, well, technically I bought Seventh Sphere which owns Open Legend, but you know. Semantics. It's mine. <laughs> Only the rules lawyers worry about that stuff. Exactly. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been fun because like, it's also, of course, you know, owning a business and uh, trying to get stuff published and all that sort of stuff is, is, is a learning curve. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that goes into it, but we're we're super excited to have you helming the ship and have Open Legend going to some awesome places. Um, Josh and I have been following Open Legend as well since the Kickstarter, obviously in a bit of a different scope. Um, haven't been as involved in the in the community, but we've always been really passionate about the system from the be the very beginning. Actually, wasn't it, Josh? Um, Open Legend coming out, isn't that what inspired you to make Xanthuru into a campaign setting? Uh, yeah, pretty much, because I, as I've mentioned before in, the, in Season Zero, this is a story and a concept that I've been toying with for uh, a decade or more at this point. I've always been kicking it around in the back corners of my head or, you know, slightly more towards the front burner sometimes, but never enough to really get more than a simmer going on it. 
And when I saw Open Legend and saw the way the rule set worked for it, it's like, oh, hey, here's actually a system that can make this concept that I had work without any major fussing with it. I don't have to do anything. It will work. Yeah, that's one of the big big draws to Open Legend was for me too, is just, and it's one of the the phrases that's used is, you know, make characters that you couldn't in other systems. Yeah, I like, one of the things that I really like about Open Legend is that I feel really restricted with other role-playing game systems in, in that, like, I have to choose a certain class if I choose a certain race. Um, and I am more of a storyteller than a game player. Um, and I would much rather be able to build what I want uh, and tell a story rather than have it fit into like specific game mechanics. I want to kind of forget about the game mechanics and tell a story. Exactly. And the open legend system gave us a way to do that, but still gather around the virtual table as it was um, and roll some dice with our friends at the same time. And exploding dice. I mean, that's always fun, too. Yeah. Usually. <laughs> D- depends on who's the receiving end. <laughs> right, yeah. If it's the GM rolling it, uh, which is I all my players, I am notorious for for those explosions, which is why I introduced a few extra mechanics for legend points. Yeah, in our uh in our in our home five E game this past uh not this past week, but the week before, our our DM had disadvantage on an attack roll he was making for a for a mook and rolled two twenties. And that's just how it goes. I still think my favorite thing though is that our open legends and through game, our record for the highest explosion was actually an initiative roll. And the funny thing was, is the character is normally very heavily armored. And during this sequence where we ended up getting into a fight, he didn't have his armor on. And so I joked that it was going to be like that moment in Naruto where Rock Lee takes off the training weights and just becomes light speed. And then he rolled, what was it, like a 67 or something like that on an 67 or 68 or something astronomically high, like good lord see here's the thing i don't i I don't have i don't roll well um this is just a a common theme in all of the role-playing games i've ever played in i roll for crap always which is great when i'm a gm because then my players feel like they're really you know making progress through the story but uh but when i'm a player it's like i'm gonna do this cool thing roll nope i'm not never mind i'm gonna go back to my knitting I think the the highest uh, authentic role that's happened in a game is uh, triple digits. I think somebody got 106. Oof. Is, I think think that's the highest I've seen. All right. Oh, okay. So we've got our goal now. We have to... <laughs> <laughs> meet or beat 106. Got it. I am interested to hear about this mechanic for the legend points, though, that you came up with. Uh, so I kind of expanded legend points in a couple ways uh, that I use in my games. Which I don't know. Have you ever seen the roll twenty character sheet? Um. Yes. It's it's the one with like the the paper backgrounds on all the different parts, and it looks all pretty. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That so one. on that one, on the one of the tabs about your your character information, there's a spot for you to enter in information for goals, for beliefs, and for instincts. And so, the way that I award legend points is you can get it for the flaws like default. 
but you can also get them for uh, role-playing in a believable manner during the session towards any of your goals or any of your beliefs. Uh, that's not achieving your goals. That's just role-playing that, you know, in a way that, you know, makes sense. Uh, and then if your uh, instinct either gets you or your group into trouble or complicates the situation. Uh, but instincts are very rare to get it because they're usually things so that the GM can't get you type thing. Like whenever I enter a room, I always look up. So that way, if I say, oh, a pin pincer drops down from the ceiling, uh, they're, oh, my instinct is always to look up. So I would have looked up and seen it, right? That type of thing. Um, but yeah, so I set those up so that there's more ways. I also usually set a, uh, I let the players decide on a group goal. And once you've achieved that goal, I usually award uh, some legend points for it as well. And then for spending, uh, for the, I let you be able to re-roll instead of having to declare beforehand. Uh, but that's only if you have advantage. If you have disadvantage on the roll, you can't, after you've rolled, decide to spend the legend points. Uh, you can spend two legend points to uh, re-roll the D20. And then you also still get the plus two. But I also let my players spend legend points on my rolls. So if I have an exploding D20, they can spend two legend points so that my uh -huh. 75 <laughs> does not end up but then I make them roll it, which sometimes they don't get a whole lot lower, but it's at least a little bit, right? Uh, and instead of, so when I let my players roll, uh, make me re-roll or make the dice re-roll, instead of a plus, it's a minus. So they get the re-roll minus. Um, and then the last thing that I've recently been doing, which I introduced a little bit with Bomb Squad, I don't know if you're familiar with, with that uh, actual play show, so when you spend a legend point before the roll, okay, so I let you spend it after, but if you choose to spend the legend point before, instead of just giving advantage, it gives you an extra dice you keep, which makes it a little more legendary, right? So if you're rolling a score of five, you get to keep 2d6. Well, with uh, a legend point, normally you'd get to roll 3d6, but just keep the two highest. With this, you get to keep all three of them. Nice. So those are some of the little tweaks that I've been playing around in uh, with some of the games that I GM in. Yeah, because a lot of the times, like, you, you want to in really incentivize, like, using those and making them feel really, really epic, as opposed to, like, oh, well, I guess I could use a plus one on that. Like, sure. Well, another we... thing I like to do is, like, so if they want to re-roll afterwards, I'm like, okay, so what, what inspired the character? What happened in that moment that suddenly caused the swing to be not effective and suddenly be effective? So then it adds narrative to the scene and adds you know more excitement from the players which is always interesting to hear their explanation of it mm -hmm. i really love the way combat and open legend feels very cinematic you know it's not just i swing my sword i swing my sword i swing my sword i mean you could do that but why play open legend if you're gonna play like that <laughs> power attack power attack power attack <laughs> a b up up down down no <laughs> So yeah, so we have all of this, you know, this great world filled with, you know, all these magical artifacts that may or may not kill you as soon as you look at them funny. And we have some rules that let you build your own magic items in Open Legend. Oh yeah, I've definitely built, oh gosh. It, in Hero Muster, I've got such a long list of both characters and items. 
I think I've seen your item list, actually. You posted it once in the chat, and I was just scrolling through like, holy cow, there's so many here. It's like walking through it, walking into a shop or something. So for our, for our listeners who may not know what Hero Buster is, what is Hero Buster? Well, there's this awesome gentleman who put together Hero Muster, which is a tool. It's not just a tool for Open Legend, but the Open Legend part of it is basically there's a character sheet. And so it autofills all the information. It lets you... It's a great resource because if you fill in all your character stuff, you, there's buttons for viewing all the available boons to you based on your attributes, all the available banes, all the available feats, because some feats have prerequisites uh, to uh, making sure that you can see what you actually can purchase right now. Uh, but they also have the item creation, which you put in, as well as the um, encounter builder, which is really cool. Uh, so there's a lot of... Uh, neat things that he's he's put into that and so that's kind of like what i was before i bought open legend just a really enthused community member that made a tool for the community to be able to do more making it a little bit easier for you to get into it uh and actually make it easier for those those current players um see i i like the idea of not having to like trawl through an entire book of uh, i get very confused by rule systems very easily um when i have to look at a physical like i have to look through this rule book i'm going to give up before i find it so <laughs> so i really like having a tool that that will autofill things for me so i don't have to spend forever wondering if i've done my math correctly yeah, just being able to, having the auto calculation of attribute points, how much you have versus how much you spent is a freaking lifesaver. Because then, cause then, you know, it's like, oh, we got an experience point. Okay, cool. I have this many. Boop, done. Boop, done. Okay, I'm leveled up. Back to playing. Like, it takes two seconds and it's just the best. I usually will actually level my characters in Hero Muster and then port everything to Roll20. Yeah, I so... That's part of the reason I have so many characters is because I'll have character X uh, with parentheses one, then character X parentheses three, five, seven, nine. <laughs> so if I like plan, plan out some of the characters for all the major levels, which I do odds because that's when you get attribute point uh, maximum increases. Yeah, makes sense. And w what I found was, so I have that big list of items, but in some of my characters, I wrote out items in their in Hero Muster on their like additional equipment and additional notes section. So I actually have even more items that I've created because I created one character that was a uh, craft extraordinary item feat. And so they made wands, tons of wands so that they could use them because um, they had creation. Um, mm -hmm. It was either creation or I went ahead with logic to, to do the crafting, but allowed them to make from other attributes. So uh, they had a friend who was a berserker who was doing the uh, battle trance and reckless attack. And so they made a wand of restoration, but it was called like, you know, uh, feel better, right? So it was meant <laughs> to counteract the, the fatigue. So it's the feel better stick and they'd wave it and, uh, you know, do that. See, my mind just went back to us having the conversation of own punching trees. And so it made me picture this Oniret character who has Battle Trance, because if any character in Xanthuru who's going to have the entire Battle Trance tree before they're done leveling up, it's going to be an own. And I was picturing them using their Battle Trance to punch the trees to get the sticks for the character to craft into wands. <laughs> 
I make mulch. Yeah, they, they definitely fit that theme for sure. You're you're wanting to talk about uh, how some of the mechanics translate, right? Yeah, like for example, having you know, say, the own having battle trance a lot. You would obviously probably build them with a lot of might. Um, I imagine earth shells would make amazing use out of alteration. That's how probably how you would stat out their earth bending. Uh, alteration, a little bit of movement. Since uh, movement has the uh, delightful bend of, oh, hey, this could also be telekinetic, <laughs> which is always good fun. Um, yeah, probably primarily alteration, I'd have to say, but they're always a little on the, little on the odd side. I mean, we don't know very much about them, so it makes exactly. sense. How would you build one of these? Well, you see... <laughs> And then you. <laughs> uh, we write a source book about Xanthuru, and the page about rolling an earth shell is just a full color photograph of gravel. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an insert fold out. Well, and you know that's one of the interesting mechanical questions that somebody might have about them because they move they move through the earth, right? Yes. So then there's a question, well, how do you do that? Do you just give them insubstantial, but that's a power level seven. So are all of them already at really high level? Or do you change the the default movement type that they have? Which is a common thing in the Discord channel that, that people have asked about. And I always say, um, depending on what your setting is and where you are, your default movement might not be walking. Yeah. It it might be, it might be flying, it might be swimming, you might be in an aquatic world. And so your walking what speed... What is walking? <laughs> exactly. Your walking speed zero, right? Uh, versus your fly speed being zero in that case. But uh, your swim speed, who oh boy. Yeah. And so I'm like, so what you do is instead you look at how uh, there's the feet flying. That's three feet points. So if you're in an aquatic world and you wanted to be able to walk, it would be three feet points to get walking, right? <laughs> Got to grow legs. One hundred percent true, but also just a really, a really funny thing to stop and think about. Having to think about as a player, it's oh cool, I've got enough three points to feet points to afford walking. <laughs> You've got enough feet points. <laughs> <laughs> it had to happen. You know what had to happen. Uh, and she pulled that. <laughs> she pulled that pun right out from under me. <laughs> it's like you married me or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and in that case, I feel like changing their default mode of transportation basically would make more sense. Because if you give them free and substantial, well, what happens if an earth shell walks into a wooden house? Their earthbending isn't designed for them to be able to shape wood, that I know of anyway. Thunk. Well, and that's where, you know, the... The self-limitation and the limitation of the world is what I always tell people about. Just because you have access to something doesn't mean that you should use it for your character. So what makes sense for the character and what makes sense for the world or the setting that you're in is always what you should consider. So even though you might have insubstantial, even though you might have creation where or genesis where you can just like create food, maybe in your world, uh, the creation of food means that energy is used up somewhere else. And if you do that too much, then that somewhere else is going to come and be angry and something happens, right? So mm. guys, you, when did this desert get here? <laughs> There's, there is all, there are always consequences. Right, exactly. 
And that's part of building out a magic system for not only a game, but also a, a book or a TV show or whatever, is what is the cost of what your characters are doing? But of course, I love in Open Legend that we get to determine that cost. You know, there's no such thing as spell slots, which I have abused the crap out of, let me tell you. <laughs> Boon Focus true. Teleport gets ridiculous <laughs> very quickly. Can. Yeah. You want to play Nightcrawler? You need that feat. <laughs> I'll tell you what. what's uh, underrated by a lot of people is Boon Focus 2 Bolster. Because you can, uh, even Boon Focus 3, because you can be, it's almost like giving yourself jack of all trades. Because yeah. you can just switch whatever you have it on for whatever action you're doing that round, right? So it can be uh, pr pretty interesting. I actually uh, built, built a character kind of around that called Riker Thorn, who is a muscle wizard. Or a, a muscle mancer. I was gonna say, do, does he cast fist? He he does. He casts it pretty viciously. So, <laughs> so uh, I did have to give him. Uh, what's interesting is I built him both in five e, which of course is a lot more difficult to do, but mm -hmm. is is doable. Basically, in five e, he he has really low int but really high strength, and uh, all the spells he uses aren't attack spells; they're just to enhance himself. So, like enlarge and oh, you know gotcha. things like that right and, and that's how he he does that uh but in open legend I, I have a lot more freedom but i did use which i it might be interesting for your world so i'm not quite sure i think i still need to tweak it a little bit on power but i made a way to create your own extraordinary attribute Ooh. and so the way it is is you get 14 points Okay, and with those 14 points, you pick out which Banes and Boons that your extraordinary attribute has. Uh, but you have to name it, right? And you have to decide a theme beforehand, and all your Banes and Boons need to fit to that theme. So this is a heavy work with your GM in the world. Right. Uh, if you want it to be able to attack, you need to spend two points to be able to attack with it. And you can spend up to three points for the attack to give it advantage. So it's like your extraordinary attribute has dual wielding or two-handed uh, in that case, right? And then nullify, because nullify is one of the most restricted uh, banes in open legend, because mm -hmm. only protection has access to it, right? Yep. So that's the biggest one that I'm... Because it if, if you do a build base around that, it can be pretty powerful. And so I'm debating whether that making nullify two or a three three point cost of those 14 points. And then what's interesting with that is you can create some feats that can give you more points, right? So for one feat point, you get two more points to spend or something so that you can grab a few more Banes or Boons. And so I use that to build Riker. Uh, and to, to because there's a lot of things I wanted to do with him between t teleporting and alteration and stuff. And it was really stretching the limits. And I was thinking, you know, this is really a very open legend way of doing things, right? Because it really lets you customize it. Um, but because it's only 14 points, because I went and I did all these statistics. I, I looked at how many points, how many Banes and Boons, everything has access to. Entropy has the most. That actually really? surprised me. Just because it has so many, but, well, because I'm also counting uh, between 
default, yes, you can attack with it. It's a maybe, it's a sometimes, or it's a no, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. And so, yeah, Entropy has the most because of so many access to Banes, but also has some boons. Uh, alteration is right behind it, though. But it was just, I, I thought alteration was always the highest just because I always looked at boons and I didn't really consider banes as much. But entropy between having access to attack and that um, actually has the most. I think it's 19 by uh, power level nine or something. Jeez. Wow. Uh, but anyway, so, so that's why I went with 14 because it's a little bit lower than the average. Mm -hmm. So by customizing, you don't get, you won't end up getting as much but you still have that huge versatility, right? Exactly. So that might be interesting for you guys for your world uh, to consider for a couple of your, whether NPCs and or uh, characters that you play. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of like what, what we would do with that. <laughs> uh, one of the, so I actually really like the Banes and Boons system in Open Legend a lot. Um, the one character that I've played uh, in the the previous campaign of Xanthiru used Boon and Bane attacks um, primarily. Like she didn't do any damage, but she inflicted Boons and Banes on on enemies. Um, and the the character that I'm generating for the the next uh, one is is very similar. Um, she's do, using the same sorts of things, but it is a completely different character. Um, so I'm doing it in in a different way, and like the flavor text is all different, but I'm still inflicting boons and banes on uh, on enemies. So. Oh yeah, buffer debuffer can be pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and yeah, like anything that you want to play can be very powerful. You know, I started out as a teleporting ranged DPS. And I've turned into kind of teleporting, sometimes ranged DPS, sometimes teleports friends out of danger. Also give her heal, fo heal uh, boon focus too, because why not? Um, so like you can be like an all-around support, you can be the, the debuffer. Of course, got to have at least one defender build in there somewhere, because the defender builds are just too much fun in this game. The fact that it's even an option is what's really fun about it. Yeah, the defender build can definitely be powerful. But what's great about Open Legend is you can build a what in a lot of other systems would be a suboptimal character and still be very effective. Um, exactly. Like, I haven't really come across a bad build, just builds that don't work for me as a player. Yeah, I mean, that's really the the beauty of the system is that it lets you build whatever you want without constraining you to the, oh, well, this race gets a plus two to strength and minus two to intelligence, so it's not really a great idea to build a spellcaster with it, and like, I, I love that that is just not even a part of the conversation with Open Legend. It's, okay, what do you want to make? Well, I'm thinking about playing a sentient weapon. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually one of the, the most recent ones that I was working on was a sentient weapon. I had two, two ones for it. One was a sentient weapon that made sentient weapons <laughs> uh, so, through, through Craft Extraordinary. Smithy from Super Mario RPG. Uh, and then the other one was just like a, a hovering one that, uh, that used uh, 
summons to create things that would wield it. Oh, right? I love that. That's so great. Like, so like the shadows would form up into a semblance of a humanoid and then be able to like swing with the we sentient weapon itself. Uh, and yeah, then the sentient weapon could also do stuff. J just because it can hover doesn't mean it can swing itself. <laughs> with any force anyway. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Ah, that is fantastic. I love that. Well, and what's really great is like if you have a concept, there's usually at least three different ways that you can achieve that concept. Mm -hmm. It's like with if you want a, a fairy, right, who has wings and stuff, you can do it through just they have alterations to or uh, some of the other ones that have access to flight, right? And you mm -hmm. can just boon yourself. But the flavor of that is uh, I'm too nervous. I can't get enough grip strength with my wings. So that's why the boon failed. And so I'm not able to fly right now, right? Flying takes a lot of concentration, so that's why you've got to sustain it. Uh, you can grab the, of course, the flight uh, feet itself, right, and do that. Or you could go, you know, all the way with Boon Focus 3 flight as well, right, just so that it's always on type thing. Yep. Oh, someone canceled it. Back on. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, I just shared uh, something in the Zoom chat, which is uh, a couple feats that, I've had some people test a little bit that have been interesting. Uh, I'm looking at these. I love the placeholder text. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you are so serious about support, you go into this whack trance. Uh, but that that support trance and reckless inv invocation is what Wrecker Thorn, the muscle mancer wizard, uh, used. Uh, and because he was mu he was high might and high constitution so he was able to take a lot of the the hits on the uh reckless invocation yeah those uh those, those five hp dings add up well in this case it's uh to to balance it out because with so support trance is kind of like the support version of battle trance so right. it's instead of for attacks it's meant for for boons more so and so I didn't feel like fatigue was a good route to go with it. So instead I did, I came up with the idea of lethal damage, but instead of it being permanent, uh, this lethal damage, this specific type of lethal damage can be recovered after 10 minutes of rest. So it's a little bit, so you're, it limits how many times you can use that reckless invocation in uh, a combat, right? But then afterwards, you can can recover, so you're not limited like you would be in 5e with spell slots or things like that. Right, and then you'd have to take a short rest or a long rest to get rid of it, so that's like four or eight hours. Right. And yeah. Hope you guys didn't want to get anything else done today, because I am spent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really and I really like that. You know, you have this built to give to give the support players you know, something that, that little extra something to feel more effective and more powerful because everybody needs a good healer, a good buffer, debuffer, but everyone also wants to be the hero. Yeah, my main idea behind the support trance and specifically the reckless invocation to get, because uh, you have to have support trance to get reckless invocation, was to give boon focus two, but so that you could use it for any boon. But of course, that's pretty powerful. So I was like, okay, how do I, yeah, how do I rein it in? And so basically, you got to spend five feet points to get it, 
which is a little less than Boon Focus 2. But while you're in support trance, um, you can't defend interrupt yourself. So you lose out on being able to defend yourself uh, during that. And then, of course, you're taking that lethal damage. So depending on what your health is at, you can only do it so many times. Mm -hmm. Guys, come on, take out the white mage. <laughs> this is public, right? We can link to, link to this in the... No, you can share this. I've shared this on Discord and stuff. It's just, uh, this is kind of my... Uh, seeing if people want to test it out type thing. So that's what I've, I haven't worked on it in a while, but I actually used uh, the sport trance and the reckless invocation uh, in a series of games. So it feels like it's powerful, but then again, I'm a dev using it and I tend to be able to like maximize things. Uh, I remember the first, first game I went into as a player somebody was their first time gm and of course i was like working in the background <laughs> and everything so i i designed a defend build who the the theme behind it was their fast draw you know gun and they shoot the air next to the person before they do whatever attack they were doing to disrupt them. so instead nice. of like with a shield nice. getting in the way it was just a mm -hmm. fast draw so uh yeah it's like gun ei style yeah, I haven't actually tested out Battlefield Tactician or Superior Tactician yet. Um, I think it feels pretty solid with how I wrote it up, but... And this was also me wanting to give more things to uh, logic and learning. And as a, as a learning-heavy player, I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> and that's the thing, too, though, is that... Another one of the things that I really liked coming into this system was just the the wealth of feet options. Like, again, drawing the parallel to the big dog, 5e, it's like, okay, you, you've hit a fourth level, for most classes anyways, you can get either an ability score increase or a feat. Okay, let's look at the feet options. Um... Okay, well, that's first spellcaster, 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 uh, that's first specific race, can't take that. That's first spellcaster, that's for a healer, that's first spellcaster. Oh, that's one, oh, no, I don't use that weapon type. <laughs> and it was just all of this, and like, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll take the ability score increase because there's no feats for me. Right. Yeah, it feels like I can really make my make my characters my own and not kind of do whatever the the current meta says is the optimal build. And that's the great thing about those exploding dice because it just makes any build the uh, sometimes surprisingly effective at something you didn't think it would be effective at. Especially with the ability scores where you get smaller attribute dice. Um, like, for example, those flippin' D4s... Those can be mean little suckers if you let them. <laughs> like, there's been times that I've actually... I, f I forget what, what attribute score it is where you jump from, like... Where you jump to having, like, 2d4 instead of the 1d10, for example. And it's like, oh, well, I'm going to wait and save up until, like... Five, yeah. I'm going to wait until I can save up to jump straight from three to five because the, now I have more chance of explosions. And Yeah, the, the big ones are when you hit five, uh, 
Um, then when you hit seven and then uh, nine, wait, no. Now my brain's not working, but yeah, basically I, I, the, cause when you jump to having keeping two dice and then when you jump to keeping three dice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you kind of get to decide how to level of, okay, like I'm getting a higher attribute die, but that also means fewer chance of explosion. So maybe I'll just save these points. And then sometimes you just want to go for it. it the, the fun of building a character has to be stated as well for, for this system, because it genuinely is fun to create a character. Like a lot of game systems, there's so much to them that you can get bogged down with decision paralysis based on the sheer wealth of stuff out there. And while there are a lot of options for open legend, they're by and large accessible to pretty much everyone, you know, with, you know, the few exceptions of things that have prerequisites and it lets just lets you decide, okay, how do I want to make this guy? What are my options? What's going to be the most fun to play? Well, and that's why Open Legend suggests that you start with a concept and then you find the things that fit that concept, which is hard to do in some of the other settings. Mm -hmm. you know, like you, you kind of might can start with a concept, but it's based on classes or things like that. Yeah, a lot of it breaks down to, well, how can I bend my concept to meet the stuff that actually exists? Yeah, and that's how I feel a lot of the time when I'm making characters for 5e. It's like, okay, well, I want to, I want, I have an idea for a character in my head, and then it just doesn't fit anywhere in the puzzle piece, you know, fittings that happen. Well, guess I'll put this one on the shelf for now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I like, I like being able to start with the concept because I am a writer at heart, and I have cons like new character concepts pretty much every day um <laughs> and i like it just offers a way for me to actually be able to build those concepts instead of having to like m change them to fit a little mold like yeah like for example when we talked about last episode with the npcs the sphere of Erion, got them jumps <laughs> and again that that goes to artifact creation as well is wanted to make something that felt really cool but wasn't necessarily inherently broken okay well so here's an artifact that's giving the guy holding it uh automatic breakfall so he doesn't kill himself <laughs> by jumping into the sky and then falling it's like how does he stop himself from falling from hundreds of feet in the air eh, artifact weapon <laughs> see i think that's one of the big things that people miss out both when creating characters or even creating items is things that have some sort of flaw or some sort of uniqueness to them just make them more interesting which is what i like about open legend too in that you have to have at least one flaw when you create your character right mm -hmm. um and it encourages you to play into that flaw because you get rewarded with a legend point right and a more interesting story so there's uh there, there's one npc that i created for the campaign that i really enjoyed building out that we didn't talk about in the npc episode because that one ran a little long to begin with and that's a little guy by the name of caleb he's one of the more recent additions to the party and he's a fun little guy and i do emphasize little guy because he's literally a kid but he being the son of a ruins delver 
messed with one of the things dad brought up back up to the surface when he shouldn't have. And now he's got a pair of really, really, really big gauntlets stuck on his arms. He can't take them off because they're not functioning properly. Uh, I think last we left him, he was running about an eight might score, I believe. And I decided to pursue the tree of combat follow through and combat momentum with him. So he punches things really hard. And if they die, he gets to move and keep punching things. The problem with that is he doesn't know how to hold back. <laughs> he literally cannot exert any less than the full, I think, like I said, eight of his might score because what he's using isn't being used the way that it's supposed to be used. It's like, oh, hey, here's a nice class of dust. I'll just eat this apple sauce. Which means that anytime he touches literally anything, he has to make a might roll. <laughs> oh, this door needs to go down. I can get that. <laughs> Let me open that door for you. Oh, that poor door. We did a hundred and some odd damage to a door that way. You wanted to remove the door, right? Not just open it. Well, if you remove it, it's open. The door is no longer in our way. The door will not be in anyone's way ever again. You wanted splinters, right? That's what you wanted? So that also reminds me, talking about three different ways at least to get to where you want to go. Um, we had a Halloween one-off one year where I had a very alteration-heavy character because she was a witch who enjoyed turning people into other things and so on and so forth. She had primarily alteration and entropy, I believe. But we got through a locked door by her using alteration to transform the locked door into an unlocked open version of itself. I love it. But yeah, we have this whole this whole system that just lets us build the magical items that populate this world. Like, for example, the monocle that lets whoever use it brainwash people. Yeah, that monocle was fun. Uh, <laughs> basically, if you didn't already have influence, it gave you access to influence. And... If you had influence, it made your influence better. And I believe it gave Bane access to a few of the more mind-warpy things. And it was in the hands of a, you know, circus ringleader. So, you know. Also slaver. Wasn't doing anything potentially illegal with that. No. Who would do anything illegal? That, that would the be thing silly. That lets you control people's brains? Nobody would do anything with that. Silly. And then I got to let my uh, Torun character use her zealous flaw who, when she's normally the voice of reason and tells people not to fight, she was just like, nope, we're going. We're getting this guy. Let's go. <laughs> He's going down. That's one of the nice things about the item builder is that there's that special section because there's the realization that you might need something a little bit additional for or subtractual from your uh, item. And so that lets you, you know, fine tune some of those things that you might not otherwise be able to do with the default properties. Yeah. Like why would there be a default property for, Hey, you can't take these things off now. Why would there be a default property for, Hey, you have to might roll on everything. <laughs> well, technically there is actually a property for that. 
if uh if the what is it it's cursed if you make it a cursed item but then it's a bane that has to auto apply which most banes are not good to auto apply in that way yeah but then they also have the thing that if you nullify it you can you know get it off so good old nullify but yeah, and having those drawbacks also makes for interesting item creation because you get a more powerful item, but oops, you're a zombie now, or oops, you can't take this off. Oops, you switched consciousnesses with a weapon. <laughs> Suddenly zombie. The thing that I'm worried about with the Spear of Erion actually is whether or not the party's going to want to switch him back with Erion by the time <laughs> they find a way to do it. It, it just reminds me of the, uh, the one joke... Uh, piece of art i saw regarding uh, beauty and the beast where it, it, it's the scene from the climax where bell is seeing beast for the first time and just this dialogue box edited in turn back oh. <laughs> i was just looking back over one of my character sheets on hero muster uh for rakesh my uh my rhino man um my very favorite animal in the entire universe is a rhinoceros. Um, <laughs> all, all, all species, subspecies of rhinos, they're great. Um, which is one of the reasons why my name on Discord is Quarrelsome Rhino. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I made a rhino person who is mostly a protection build. Um, but I got, we, we did sort of a, like a text-based open legend game where I used him and I got to use my flaw of overt all the time because the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the idea behind him is that he has lived with his tribe of nomadic, uh, rhino people for his whole life. And he has now, he's like, I think, I can't remember how old he is, but he's like 20 or 30 and he like left his tribe to go out like he came of age and he's breaking out into the world and he has no idea how humans exist or like what they do or how they how they talk to each other what is subterfuge <laughs> yeah he, he doesn't know what money is he just he's like oh i'm gonna take this because i want it and then it's just sitting here yeah he finds out what money is um but yeah way. so i got to i got to use overt quite a lot <laughs> with that one I know we've been going for a little bit here, so I, I don't want to be sidetracked too much by what you guys wanted to originally talk about or anything. So is there any? Well, I know we did promise the promise the lovely listeners a little bit of building knowledge, and then we immediately just started gushing about how much we love Open Legend. <laughs> um... I'm sorry. It's just such a great system. <laughs> I will. I, I can start off saying, obviously, movement is very important for a Turun character, as is learning. Highly recommend Boon Focus Teleport. I mean, not only because it's stupidly fun, but you don't want to do what I did the first boss battle and teleport straight up into the air instead of where you actually want it to go. That was fun. I ended up taking some fall damage from that. I remember that. Well, and that that's an interesting thing too. Like what I recommend for people if they have, um, you know, different species and things in their worlds, instead of saying, you know, this, this, this is what they have. It's like most of these species will have points in this, or these are some of the perks, like list suggestions to help people ease into the world and be like, okay, so this is what this particular group or this particular culture or whatever is about. 
these are the things that are most likely to have, but you're not required. You know, what mm-hmm. I actually wound up doing with that, I found an option in, I believe it was Hero Muster's character builder that let you basically reduce the buy cost of an attribute to the level below it, basically, so that you could essentially set an attribute as always buying as if it were lo- one level lower than it actually was. So if you were buying to it from you know, one to two, it would cost like from zero to one. And I basically just said, okay, pick one for whatever your particular character species is. Obviously, it's not a straight up, you get a plus one or plus two or plus whatever to this stat. And it's not, oh, if you're going to be playing this, you need to have these stat, this stat, those stats. It's if you want to spec into what is most common here's an opportunity to do so that won't also let you build other things. Yeah. There was a early on, this was a couple of years ago. Uh, there was somebody who was trying to do that. I was like, well, make a perk and the perk lets you uh, purchase one higher than your max. So there was a okay. race of giants, right? So normally starting character, you're restricted to a max attribute of five. You could get six, but you still have to spend the points to get to six, right? So that means your other things are going to be stinted probably, but you can get it one earlier, which isn't too powerful. It could be, but because you're still having to spend it, that's probably okay. Yeah, it it comes with an appropriate drawback, which is fine. That's how you make things balanced. Being a giant might impact your interactions with other people too, right? Or fitting into doors or <laughs> it's another case of we're removing the doors <laughs> <laughs> would that in in cases like that would you have a paired perk and flaw where sure you're a giant you get to buy an extra rank and might if you want earlier than everybody else but your flaw is you're freaking huge yeah that's interesting because that that is something that i know i've suggested before and that i think some other people have thrown around the discord is is a few perks and flaws that are linked, especially when the perks verging on the little bit more powerful um, that, yeah, there, there's a flaw that you usually want to link to it. My only suggestion was, would be to maybe make a selection of flaws. So that way you're not just, if I get this, I have to get this right. It gives mm-hmm. it a little bit more, more options. Yeah. Cause that's, that's not good game design. <laughs> options are it's like we've been talking about with fiction too like giving giving things flaws is really good because it makes it more believable um and i feel like it works the same way with with these kinds of storytelling games you don't want everything to always go right because it makes for a better story if you have to work around uh uh, limitations Yes. what's that success with a twist yeah I, I like to with my players i'll sometimes when they're really close I'll be like you know if you spend a legend point i'll let you go ahead and do something just because i like to i like to eat up those legend points which is why i'm so often giving the legend points out like because yeah. i'll give it out at the end of a session sometimes uh just a general like all right you get everybody gets two legend points uh for the overall session uh, but that's because I like to give reasons for them to use those legend points. 
Yeah, and then you get to, you know, have your your theme song power-up music playing in the background and really get to feel like your character's doing something special. Um, so let's see, what's another, what's another buildy type thing that we could do really quick? Well, you, did you want to talk about building an actual item, how you'd go about it? So like, what's a, what's a common item that might be in the world, for example? Uh, com a common item for that area of the world, uh, that's something that's actually usable is the, probably the main question. Um. Well, because then there's like questions of like how accessible are these items and stuff to be made? Like, is there a stone of washing where you can just like rub it against you and it does precedentation in 5e, for example, it just cleans you, right? Or cleans your clothing. The magical bar of soap. <laughs> um, but of course, of course, with yours, a lot of that stuff will be restricted based on the, uh, the, the ley lines, right? Yeah, nothing really does well if it's not plugged in. <laughs> right. But you're also not generally going to be adventuring super far away from those because then, you know, your healer won't be able to tap into their healing abilities. So, I mean, you could, but there's inherent risk involved there that the party's going to have to decide, well, do I want to be able to throw fireballs and use healing abilities and use this relic that we found, or do we want to go analog with this? Though there are ways of storing the energy. I don't know if that's a thing that we can build. It's like basically a, a battery where you can charge it up with lay energy and then take it and use it. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. It's not very efficient, uh, is what you had said. It's not an efficient storage, and it can't hold it for very long or something, right? Yeah, but very long is kind of a loose term, considering it's generally good for a couple of years if it's charged, but it's not like something you're going to dig up out of the ground ready to go, and it's like, oh man, this has thousands of years of energy. Yeah, that might be a good item to build is, uh, you know, the, the crystal and uh, describing how how it charges you with a pulse or whatever to be able to use a, a spell or to use your connection. Yeah, so let's see here. Another one we could potentially do is Velfreya's guns instead of her using them with, because uh, I think the first time I built her, I actually had her just using attribute substitution and the guns being a vanity item. Um, the character that I play in Xanthiru, um is a Torun character by the name of Velfreya, and she has these these pistols, basically, even though they don't have that word in Xanthiru, um, that let her fire, that let her use energy to attack, um, which normally the, the Torun don't have access to that type of channeling. Um, and of course, that was me just being like, oh, I want to use attribute substitution, because this is so freaking cool. <laughs> Attribute substitution is pretty great as a concept. Yeah, it definitely lets you explore a lot of interesting uh, interesting builds that way. So yeah, let's see here. Weapon, baseball bat, one-handed. Cannon. Yes, clearly. Oh, hey, look, laser pistol. 
almost makes me want to tangent and tell you about the discarded laser pistol of Voss I made. Oh, please do. <laughs> so in, in one of my games, uh, it was a, a sci-fi space faring thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my players who was uh, called Voss, basically there is a dramatic moment and I, I, he lost his arm right is was his character backstory and so he had he ended up getting a, another one but i was like well what happened to that arm when it was left in the hera maelstrom uh so the, the i decided well it would absorb all those energies and basically become uh intelligent and sentient on its own so left behind in the hera maelstrom by Hiroshio Delphinius Arcada Voss, this normal laser pistol drifted, slowly collecting the strange energies within. The right arm of Voss remained, hand still gripping the pistol. The arm slowly deteriorated by the maelstrom, merging and becoming one with the pistol. Eventually, the pistol grew sentient and then intelligent. Drawing further from the maelstrom, it gained the ability to move and shoot with quite a bit of accuracy and extra power. It now seeks out Voss, who left it after a battle with a rabid furball. You son of a bitch. So there's this <laughs> this floating pistol that's merged with this uh, arm and hand. And uh, it's got agility seven. It's got slain Voss. So the, the legendary property is slain for Voss. <laughs> it's intelligent and deadly three. That's fantastic. I love it. And you can do stuff like that. Just come up with a story and add properties to it. It's great. So we're looking at creating this, this, these pistols, but you're thinking about creating them where they have the energy property on them. So instead of attribute sub, you can just. Yes. And they are bound to her. If she tries to abandon them or someone tries to lock them up, they will invariably come back. So the, the question I have is, is the energy property actually important on it? Because is it just used for attacks and therefore the only energy part of it so instead of giving it energy attribute score of five say just giving mm-hmm. it uh, just this uh, laser pistol or it's a pistol with damage type plasma damage type other <laughs> because would you want to be using your agility to shoot it yes so in that case yeah probably either making it a laser pistol or I mean, flavor-wise, of course, give it whatever you want, but you can just mm-hmm. give it the property of damage and just name the damage type. Because mm-hmm. the damage type, so the damage type, she can change it. She can pull back on the hammer and it'll rotate and it'll change whether she's doing, you know, photonic light blasts or if she's shooting lightning or whatever. She can change it based on that, which is why I was just using the energy property before. Yeah, I'd recommend just if, the, especially if it's just a shifting, so you have a limited amount of choices, right? Or is it an infinite amount of choices? That's a good question. You're asking me stuff that I haven't built. Um, <laughs> probably, probably limited. She just hasn't shown all of the options on screen. Okay, because if it's like pushing towards like four different options or more then I might say that the wealth level of the item might should be increased. But right now I don't think the wealth level of the item matters because you already have the item. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're wanting to share this with others to see what, you know, because that gives you an idea of the power of the item is really what the wealth level is there for. 
-hmm. more so than, I mean, obviously if you want to purchase it or sell it or things like that, the wealth level would come into effect, but really, especially from a GM perspective is when you make the item, the wealth level lets you know, okay, this thing's uh, kind of powerful, a little strong, uh, maybe tile it down a little bit. Right. So if you have a high versatility of like being able to switch between 10 different damage types, that should probably be an increase in wealth level for it. But if you're just talking about like three different damage types, it's probably okay, especially considering the setting. Cause you always got to weigh the item in the setting too, when you create an item from, this is from a GM perspective, not, not necessarily a player perspective, because you want it to, how powerful is it compared to other items in the world already? Yeah, and there is, of course, obviously the storytelling aspect of she has this artifact that can be used as a very powerful weapon. Other people are going to want to take it from her, which is why she hides them, which it strikes me as hilarious that I've gone out of my way to point out to other players that she's hiding something and nobody has asked her about it. They're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> so there goes that storytelling opportunity, I guess. So you mentioned... <laughs> So you mentioned that um, if it's out of your control, it can basically come back to you, right? Yes, whether she wants it to or not. Okay, so uh, there's two ways. Of course, the easy way is just with the special property, but you could give it, um, is it infinite range or is it once it gets like X distance away from you, it automatically essentially teleports back to you? What do you think, Josh? I would hazard to say that it's a situation where once it gets a certain distance away, it would pop back. So you could give it, for example, uh, pop the boon, uh, teleport at power level three, which means 15 feet, right? And then autonomous. And the autonomous property is that whenever this happens, it does this. So whenever it gets 15 feet away from you, it bamps back into your belt or into your hand. It, it operates off of uh, if this, then that. Right. <laughs> autonomous is code. Oh, no. That's essentially what autonomous is. Uh, it, does a, it can be more complicated than that because you could have, you know, a, a bot with might that's autonomous that just does work, whatever, you know. But, I mean, that's how, that's how I'd use the autonomous property in this case. Um, because if dust then sweep yeah and then the limitation is that teleport is not accessible to you it is only accessible to the item for the autonomous feature which brings down the wealth level because instead of allowing you to teleport 15 feet of course you already have the ability to do that for that character but that's if someone else were to grab it exactly they wouldn't be able to teleport it's just the item itself that moves yeah and she doesn't choose where it goes it can just it just plops down in her vicinity Right. So, you know, giving it 15 feet uh, with the default item building rules is a wealth level one. Giving it uh, 25 feet would be wealth level two. Right. So you could decide a little bit on the distance based on that or thematically, like how far does it get away before? I mean, that's something that for, for you to, you know, think about. Asking me all these questions I've never thought about. And it's like, it's exciting, but it's also like you get that panic of, uh, why didn't I think of this before? What, what do I choose? Is there a wrong answer to this question? Which, is this going to be on the test? Which is better? 
Um, but this is also good because I'm actually working on a short story of how she got these in the first place. So knowing how they behave when she gets them and tries to turn them in is kind of important. Well, then how is it that you are bonded to it? Can somebody else bond to it? Do they have to bond to it while they're within 15 feet of you? Because if they try and take the weapon away from you, then it, in theory, just goes back to you, right? So how how does that process work, I guess? So... In world, they don't really know how it worked. She picked them up off of a desiccated body in desperation because her life and her friend's life were in danger and managed to use them. And they decided that they had been assigned to her because these were originally a military issue weapon by an order of magic knights. So they decided, oh, hey, you're my new user now. Cool. She doesn't realize this, uses them, gets back home, tries to hand them into the authorities, and 30 seconds later, they're on her bedside table again. And they're like, uh, why are you, why are you, why, why, stop? Now I'm just picturing an infinitely looping version of that gif of Aragorn pulling the weapons out and putting them down. But yeah, the, these were originally, actually, from the, from the Torun episode, these were originally a Justicar weapon that she picked up and was using. Yeah, and the only reason I'd say, and these are the kind of things that you guys have said in, in the world building, is to establish that so that you know in case that situation arises. Somebody mm-hmm. tries to take them away from you. They just need to hold them while being within 15 feet of you or 25 feet or, or whatever distance. Um, and then suddenly now they're attuned to it, or is it assigned to you for life? <laughs> Warranty is void for, uh, for the lifetime of the user. <laughs> The So I'm sure that the Justicars had a way of unassigning these weapons. Right. The Torun do not currently know what it is. So they're stuck with her. No, it's, you got to have the special stone and you got to rub it on the side of the weapon and that <laughs> unlocks it. And then you can lock it to somebody else. It's kind of like a Bluetooth connection. You've got to, you know, you've got to switch it over. You need to find this guy. His name's Vash. It might even be like that. Um, like p- handing it over in the presence of, say, an enchanted officer's badge is what does it. Um, but they don't have any of those because all those guys are dead. Right. And she didn't think to check the desiccated corpse. <laughs> well, she kind of had more important things to deal with, like not dying. Yeah, not dying was a very important part of that scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's how I would go about that item is just make it um, the default item is based off of. Sounds like it's either a laser pistol or because it, it doesn't ever shoot actual bullets. Correct. Correct. It's energy only. Right. So probably it's ammunition is the ley lines. Right. Exactly. So I just make it a laser pistol um, and then give it the damage type properties, which technically don't affect the wealth level, but that's because it's not put in there with the thought that you'll put two different, 10 different damage types listed on it. Right. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, uh, whatever distance you think makes the most sense. I mean, it sounds like in your original story, of course, you can always change that a little bit from what you played and what it actually is now. Um, but, you know, whatever distance you want to assign to it. You could give it, because at, at teleport, um, I think it's not until power level seven that you can go the really crazy distances with it, which in theory yeah. would make it a lot more expensive, but it takes like, you have to focus for a minute, and for every minute you focus, you get a mile you can teleport, right? Yeah, it's, it's something crazy like that. Teleport is fun and weird. It is, yeah. So you could go that crazy, where give it power level seven teleport so that, like, and it's more 
it's a little bit the distance, but it's more like the time away from you. So is it, it gets a certain distance away from you or you're without it for 30 minutes and then it's like, Hey, uh, return home. You must wait exactly 10 heartbeats. <laughs> I got that reference. Of all of the people I know, you two should get those references. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, I recognize it, but my brain is not connecting where I'm recognizing it from. Stormlight Archive. Okay, yep. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah, that, gosh. I read that, I think, just two years ago. Well, I listened to it, I should say, while driving. So, yeah, that's the only question is time or distance, which makes more sense. As story-wise, it sounds like before it was time and not so much distance. Mm-hmm. GM, what do you think? I will say as a player, I'd rather it be distance. That way, if I ever get disarmed, then... Yeah, then it comes back right away. (laughs) Distance makes more sense, considering who the Jessicars were likely using those sorts of weaponry against. Because, oh, hey, I'm sure somebody who's particularly adept at eating people could choose to selectively eat (laughs) and send someone packing without their equipment oh, hey, look, our equipment comes back to us. Exactly. Um, And also the fact that they were fighting rogue channelers even before they went corrupt and insane. So people were going to be trying to disarm them a whole lot. And so, hey, yeah, you would want it to come back to you in the heat of battle. And I think that, what was it? You said 15 feet was kind of the the cheapest one. I mean, that seems pretty obvious that something is that someone's trying to disarm you and it's also far enough away that it could still like if it lands 10 feet away and i'm restrained guess i'm hecked i'm still gonna have to figure out as a player how to get around that if my channeling is blocked my weapon is 10 feet away not 15 so it's not going to come back to me on its own and my hands are bound great right now of course i I just i always default on the prices to the highest one I mean, you can pick uh, teleport power level one, two, or three, right? Mm-hmm. But the price range for wealth level one is a power level one through three. So you could make it 10 feet. But yeah, like the, like you said, that 15 feet would make it a little bit more challenging. It's like, well, I'll jump away from the enemy instead of towards them to get the weapon, and then it will teleport to me. Mm-hmm. That would make for some really cool cinematic, too, when you stop and think about it. It's like your weapons landed clear over there. There's something right in your face and you jumped back. Yep. Um, and also like having it, I feel like the, the Justicars who originally made these, having them teleport back to you when they're only five or 10 feet away would get really irritating because sometimes you are going to want to put your weapon down to take a shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on guys. I'm trying to eat. <laughs> Well, and that's the other question. Does it teleport back into your hands? Which, uh, based on what you were describing, probably makes more sense versus like, uh, especially because the sheath might have, a sheath is gun holster, might have deteriorated and no longer exists. A boom sheath. <laughs> they kind of just pick a spot in your vicinity from the way, from the first, from the first very rough draft of the story. Um, they kind of just come back like, She'll hand it to the authorities, for example, and they take them and leave, and then she turns around and they're on the table. What it sounds like to me is there's probably a matching holster, but because that holster is not assigned to anybody, 
it's doing its best. Which might be why it took longer to do do it the first time. Yeah, because it's lost. It's trying to figure out like where's my where is my homing orientation? Failure to triangulate doing best. Boop. Which could be an interesting thing when you maybe encounter the holster someday. Yep. Where's my or person? In the, or in the meantime, as you know, someone does manage to take one away from her and it decides to pop back into existence directly above her head. <laughs> Roll a roll a chaos die on. Okay, where's it gonna show up this time? <laughs> yeah, that that makes it far more interesting that way. Really, we're gonna have to put some put a spoiler warning on this episode now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Do we want to build the battery real quick? Well, the the thing the thing with building out something like the battery is it would pretty much be just a pure. Hey, this is a otherwise somewhat common substance that has a special property to it there there really wouldn't be a whole lot of substance to the item other than special this lets you use channeling when there is no energy present yeah you just have to define like how many channels you get out of it yeah, like a, like a charge system kind of thing like you do with a wand, basically. Yeah, you could do like it has 20, but 20 represents the power level. So if you do a power level 5 boon or if you do an attribute score 7 attack, you use the 7 of the 20, right? Yeah. As a as a random thing to throw out there as a possibility. No, that 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 works pretty much as well as anything I would have thought of given more time to think about it. And then you have to channel through it for X amount of time to get one point back up to a maximum of whatever it is. Don't overcharge your batteries. Bad things will happen. Yeah, but then that's the question. What Would they use that as a bomb? Set it in the middle of a camp and let it start to, like, overcharge? Is that something that can happen? Probably. <laughs> I think you just solved the the problem I've been having with the other short story I was going to write for Velfreya. <laughs> so would they charge automatically or do you have to like start the process? Do you have to be there while it's doing that? Or do you have to make sure that you're constantly expending these things so that they're never overcharged? I guess that would really depend on whether or not it's functioning properly. Yeah, because if it's functioning properly, because didn't the, so we had the whole, the Garrick War and all of the nastiness that arose from that. And really what comes down to it is, is that all these treaties that arose afterwards, not only banned, you know, Garricks themselves, but didn't they also ban anything that can draw from the light autonomously without being told to? Yep. Autonomy is a big no-no. So you would have maybe something that was built before then, something that got found that is drawing autonomously, and maybe its, it's, uh, its gauge is broken so it doesn't know when to stop. Or you have somebody who's irresponsibly making this stuff anyway, even though it's illegal, because stuff being illegal doesn't always stop people. That's why we have things like black markets. But no, if it's, if it's illegal, we... people don't do it. That's how it works. Yeah, totally. Or, you know, you have the normal legit one that you buy from a shop that only charges if you tell it to charge. Only charges if you put something into it. No more, no less. Three shall be the number of the counting, and the number of the counting shall be three. Three points, that's not a lot. That was a Monty Python reference. I know, I'm just thinking like, oh, what, what, what would you use a bank for that only has three points in it? All right. Making campfires. 
<laughs> well, are they mega points or normal points? Well, if you act now, operators are standing by. The eternal motto of this podcast, where we're going, we don't need roads. All right. I think that should be just about everything, though. I mean, we kind of ping-ponged around a little like we always do, but it was fascinating to have yet another viewpoint to ping-pong off of and provide some much-needed insight and answers to questions we didn't even know we needed to ask and more questions that we didn't know we needed to ask. Yeah, I feel bad like I, I, that I can't immediately answer some of this stuff and then I remember, wait, that's the point of this show. That is literally the entire point of this show. <laughs> Do you have questions? That's understandable. Well, and you know, even with Open Legend, that's what I always like to, I never like to create restrictions in like thinking um, or, or telling my players, I always say, well, that sounds like you want to use this attribute, but you know, if you can think of another attribute to use for this situation, let me know. Because uh, player creativity can sometimes really surprise you, uh, even in like the items that they want to make or the characters they want to make, right? Can be which I've uh, I got into trouble doing that because I let it was supposed to be a one shot. <laughs> I like the disclaimer there. Supposed to be. Yeah, I, I took a bunch of people who hadn't played Open Legend yet. I was like, okay, I'll run you guys through a, a one shot. And so, some one person created a uh, a slime, basically, <laughs> that was an alien from another world that crash landed and they couldn't communicate, but with blurbs and and stuff. And I was like, it's a one shot, whatever. And then everybody was like, hey, this, this was really fun. You guys want to keep playing? Son of a... I was like, okay. Well, especially because I gave them... I was like, oh, and the thing that you found was this amulet that gives you plus two to alteration, <laughs> which is like super overpowered wow. for level one characters. But I was like, oh, that's the end. Oh, no. Okay, well, this character now has plus two to their alteration score. Great. Thanks. Time to uh, retcon a curse onto there, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily that player was, uh, did not abuse it, but yeah. That's good. But the, the slime character is something that I probably wouldn't have maybe allowed initially in the way that I allowed it for a one shot. So that made it challenging, but you know, players can be pretty creative with stuff. And we like to reward creativity, not punish it. Yeah. Especially, especially in this system. It's why it exists the way it does but yeah i think that just about wraps us up for tonight thank you so much for hanging out with us and uh sorry we went a little late but we really appreciate you taking your time to come and talk with us and help us building out that item and yeah no it's always shooting the breeze always fun i think my cat is unhappy that i didn't put more food down during this but there is a hole in the center <laughs> of the dish it is empty and you are starving them Oh, that is the best shirt. It says best cat dad ever, and it has a cat, a black cat on it, and it's a great, a great shirt. great shirt for a great mustache. I'm wearing my Open Legend shirt. I noticed that you got the black variant. Yep. They're so soft. I cannot believe how soft they are. If you're listening to this episode and there's still shirts for sale on the website, you should go buy one because they're great. Oh, she's so cute. I love her. Yeah, picture acquired. <laughs> Yay. If you have the way to do it, my only suggestion with those t-shirts is find some way to make more that are glow in the dark. Glow in the dark. 
Well, yeah, that might be something I'll be uh, looking into because I want to create some t-shirts with some of the art from the, the books. Ooh. Book's got good art. I, I love how every single piece of artwork in that that book has all of like different time periods and themes sprinkled in there. You'll see like, you know, this knight with a dragon and there's like an old rusty mech in the backdrop and it's like, ah, yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, the books are absolutely beautiful. We were we were lucky to pick up two of the special edition ones for for one of the early bird pledges of the Kickstarter and oh, they're just great. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure even the standard edition is just as beautiful, but that special edition cover with the keyhole artwork is just, oh, it's well, that's perfect. what is nice about the shirt. The shirt has that thing. And I, mm -hmm. so I made, um, actually, let me see. I think I got them over here. So I've got a, a 3d printer and I 3d printed, uh, legend point coins so that you can use at the table oh that's and there's neat. the flaw token which the legend point coins can fit into oh but that's amazing i've got I love a it. in theory i've got a laser engraver cutter thing for that'll be able to do that to wood i'm gonna make them out of wood but i'm gonna burn in the thing that's on the like yeah, the filigree. on the shirt and on the limited edition. And I might make those available on the website. That's I'm great. not sure how many of those people would be interested in those, but I, I am thinking about making those legend coins because that way you can, you know, you can throw them at your GM, say, I'm spending a legend point. <laughs> yeah. And that way too, like that's an, you know, an easy way to, to generate some revenue. And also like you don't have to order right. stock of those. Somebody orders one, you exactly. hit print. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a couple plans rolling around in my head for Open Legend for things like that, but uh, it'll probably be 2021 when I start to implement them. Yeah, 2020 is just cursed at this point. I wouldn't even like... But uh, speaking of the Open Legend website, uh, I, I do believe that uh, that thing has a shop, doesn't it? Yes, where where you can where you can buy things. Yeah, you can you can purchase things like the books and the PDFs, and the T-shirts. Yes, and the Boone and Bane decks. Which, like, let me tell you, when I bought those, it was an add-on for the Kickstarter, and I was like, oh, this is a neat like little novelty thing, whatever. Like, I'll just pick them up because they're cool. And then we started playing Open Legend with an in-person group, and literally every time we sat down, before they would even open up their character sheets. They would grab the Bane and Boon decks and pull out their character's favorite Boons and Banes and just have them and, like, pass them around the table. Like, they became indispensable. So if you think you might want to play Open Legend in person with your friends, you should probably pick those up. And they're on sale right now. And, Josh, you were leading into this. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't segueing at all. Who would do that? That's a terrible thing. If you would like to get anything off of the website, store.openlegendrpg.com, if you use code RhinoBot at checkout, you can get 10% off your purchase. A special treat for our listeners. <laughs> Trick or treat. It's the treat. <laughs> and we just dated the recording of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hard time step on that one. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> 
that is it for this episode. So if you would like to contact us, you can do so by shooting us an email at worldbuilders at rhinobot.net or by tweeting us at Rhinobot Studios. We will be glad to answer fan questions on the air, but obviously re we record these episodes well in advance. So it is, will definitely take us several episodes to get to your question, but we will get to it, we promise. And also Great Mustache is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. This show is a member of the Rhinobot Studios family. For more information, including show listings, team member bios, social media links, and our community discord, please visit rhinobot.net.